Alrighty, we're here for another episode of In the Clinch with um, I'll go ahead and say it, my semi-permanent new co-host Theo Lander here. Whenever yeah, you can come like on, that. we'll have you on. Hopefully, more often than not. Good to have a co-host, as I've always said. Uh, lot to discuss here. Good things we're gonna follow up on. We'll be following up on the Diego Sanchez and Josh Fabia. Big developments in that. Um, we'll also be discussing Paul Felder retired mid-broadcast. Uh, we'll talk about the Cody versus Rob Font. It was a great fight. Preview the next card and a couple other things that we'll be getting into here. Uh, maybe talk a little UFC 263 before we officially were about three weeks out from that. That should be a good, good little, uh, good little card. Um, so the big thing that we're going to be discussing here, our follow we talked about it last week was Josh Fabia, the MMA guru, and I put that in air quotes. Uh, and Diego Sanchez, they have they had a whole falling out with UFC. Now Diego Sanchez and Josh Fabia have had a falling out with one another. Diego Sanchez has cut ties with Josh Fabia, and there's been a lot of big developments in that. Um, a lot of predictable developments in that. I'm not sure if you read the article that I sent you, but there was a whole article about basically Josh Fabia discussing his side of it. He did a half hour interview on a small, uh, I shouldn't say small, but an MMA, another MMA podcast. I'm not sure who the host was and his take on it. The initial take that came out, the initial statement I should say was that Diego Sanchez cut ties with Josh Fabia. Josh Fabia went on the show, said that's not true. Um, I cut ties with Diego Sanchez. Uh, Personally, I mean, there's been a lot of scrutiny around Josh Fabia, as we know. I, I'm not totally sure that I believe that he was the one who cut off Diego Sanchez after – I mean, after we saw what he did with the media and how he's going to bat for him like crazy, and now he's just all of a sudden a week later saying, like, oh, no, 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 I, I actually cut ties. I, I don't want to do this anymore. But uh, I don't know if you have any takes on that right off the bat. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily, like, a really hot take. Yeah, right. um, I think everyone kind of agrees on this one especially now that he's come out, it, it seems like this story has kind of subsided a little bit. And now all of a sudden this week he comes out saying, Oh, actually it was me who cut ties with Diego. It's like, yeah, I don't think anyone's really believing that coming out of his mouth, but um, yeah. Um, the interview itself that, that he did, it, it was just like so disorganized and he would go on these yeah. rants, like had nothing to do with what he was talking about. He was going on in circles. It was like, and then towards the end, I think he he said to the the host that like they didn't use him properly in the interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, he's. So he's I don't it, know. I, I really don't trust his opinion when it comes to how that relationship ended. I think Diego probably saw the reaction online and got some advice from some close friends and family, and was like, "All right, it's time to cut this guy off." Right, and you and you think about what all these it's even on the surface it just seems fishy, but then you look at how many different people were coming out and talking against Fabian I I didn't see I don't know about you but I I didn't see any of these UFC fighters or media members or anyone siding with Josh Fabia and saying that like oh Diego's going crazy like I think it's pretty well known that Diego Sanchez hasn't always been the most stable character in the UFC um but I don't think he's also I don't think he's an idiot per se so it's I haven't seen anybody side with Fabian yet. It was everyone coming out saying that Diego needs to get away from this guy. Diego's being used. Uh, Fabian doesn't know what he's talking about. And now Fabian wants to come out and say it's the other way around, that Diego has no idea what he's talking about. And it's I, I just can't do it anymore. So I have an excerpt from the, the article right here that I'll read just a small portion. And these are some serious allegations that Fabian is accusing Diego Sanchez of, in my opinion. He said, Diego is not anywhere near what anybody knows, man. Diego and, and Diego has been an addict. He hasn't told anybody for the past five months. I was his sponsor living with him that I had to live there because he was broken and lost all his money and strung out on Kratom, alcohol, and 30 other substances that he has sexual abuse issues. No, no, no. He didn't say any of that, man. And I've been holding up all of this. I've been doing everything and everybody's coming at me. So uh, finally, it says Fabio rejects the notion that he's been exploiting Sanchez. On the contrary, he says that Sanchez is the one who exploited him. Um, I mean, this is serious stuff to say that he's a Kratom addict, um, an alcohol addict, 30 other substances that he has sexual abuse issues. Uh, I don't know if that's sexual abuse issues uh, that he's conducting, that he's sexually abusing someone, or that he's been sexually abused and he's not talking about it. I have no idea. But 
I mean, this isn't just like a small, like we didn't get along kind of thing. This is legit kind of serious stuff. So this is all very recently too. I believe this article was posted, if not today, within the last few days. Uh, yeah, and just as with anything that Josh Fabius says, I always have to question whether it's true or not. Yeah, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, and he's saying some pretty serious stuff here, but I have quite literally seen absolutely nothing that Josh Baby has produced to be credible or like, yeah, I have no reason to believe him when it comes to anything because it seems like he's built his entire life off just lying, right? People, so I don't, I don't really hold too much credibility to whatever Josh Baby is saying on any subject. Yeah, and this was published yesterday, so yeah. today's uh May 25th. This was part published on May 24th, so this isn't like I, I, Diego hasn't responded yet to my knowledge, but. This was posted by MMAnews.com. They said that uh, as soon as there's a statement from Diego, they're going to post and publish a whole thing about it. Um, there was also multiple things that he talked about throughout the article. He said that he uh, he accused him of he accused the UFC one of strong arming Diego into throwing his fight with Michael Chiesa because Diego wasn't landing strikes. He was going for wrestling more. And basically he was uh, talking about how like, oh, Diego's just a guy who likes to throw punches. Why wouldn't he throw punches in a fight and just get taken down and let himself get strangled for three rounds, basically. Uh, basically. So, uh, I, I mean, I think it's just a matter of that Diego's towards the end of his career, like we talked about last week. It's not the fact that like, um, it's not the fact that he was being manipulated or that he was going to throw any sort of fight. Uh, I don't, I mean, the notions of that are just crazy to me in general. It doesn't make any sense. This is the UFC. This isn't boxing in the eighties. There's no reason to throw fights. It's not, you can't really play fighting, you know? I mean, we've heard it before. Um, It'd be pretty tough to throw a UFC fight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and it's like, today's like, what is it? Like the 50 something anniversary of Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston. Yeah. 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 And so, the story with that was that that iconic picture of Ali standing over him, like screaming at him, like tell him to get up is because he was mad because he knew that Liston was throwing the fight because yeah. he had like a lot of mob ties. So mm-hmm. it's just funny how we're talking about on the day. Yeah, of. right. But also, I don't really think that throwing fights or fixing fights is even possible today. Like, that's what, yeah, cool. I agree. I, I think it's extremely hard to do unless you without making it extremely obvious at the same time, because it's right. There's just so many angles, like the power of the Internet, like where it gets out of these kind of things. Like, right. And it's Diego Sanchez too. Of, of all the fight, like, why would they ask Diego Sanchez to do that? Because they can just put him in this fight with Michael Chiesa and know that there's a good, a fair chance he's going to lose anyways. Michael Chiesa is an up and coming. No, I shouldn't say up and coming, but he's climbing the ranks pretty quickly. And he's not a he's a skilled fighter. There's a, I mean, him beating him the way he did wasn't even surprising to me. You know, it's it's Diego Sanchez at the end of his career. Someone who's taken a ton of damage. Someone who's going in there and hit everyone knows his fight style is to go in there and brawl and you're going to fight with Diego Sanchez or or you can take him down and like it's probably going to be a bad fight for him and that's what Michael Chiesa did he went in there he knows that Diego can take a punch uh as we've seen before I don't I I can't think of a time that Diego Sanchez has been finished I I don't know I don't know if he ever has but uh more than likely Michael Chiesa is not going to go in there and knock Diego Sanchez out so it makes sense for him to just wrestle him the whole time and just restrict him um, but even it's an interesting point even there to be like the UFC strong arming Diego and they want him to throw a fight. And then at the end of the article, he's saying, well, Diego's like, you know, an addict and it's, he's out of control and stuff like that. So it's like, which is it? Is he throwing fights or is he completely out of control of his own body? Like he's going back and this is all within a half hour too. This isn't a three hour long interview. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. The whole thing is just so odd. Uh, I don't really like. I don't know what could happen to Fabius. Like, can you suspend him? Like, is there like a thing? Like, I have no idea what if there's a. I mean, I guess it's just he's more of a being blackballed now. Like from the, he's done it to himself. But like, no one in their right mind is going to go train with Josh Fabian now, unless you're maybe like an up and comer and he's the only one he'll give you a shot, and then you can get some recognition and go from his camp to somewhere else or something. But I yeah, mean, well, I'd imagine that the UFC is going to somehow cut his credentials. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have the power to do that, yeah, so right. they they might do that just to kind of save fighters themselves, like right. so because they can't stop people from going to Fabia. Right. They say, hey, like if you go to him, like you're not gonna be able to have your coach at these events. Like that could also deter some people mm-hmm. away. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he surprisingly does have like multiple students, which is kind of like. Yeah. And me. the way I look at it is probably either um, you, you look at the way, I mean, he's clearly a very like a master manipulator, uh, but you have Diego Sanchez, who's training out of Jackson Willink at two years ago, which is a very successful camp, a great camp, um, a legitimate camp with legitimate fighters, legitimate coaches. And, you know, maybe he's just frustrated with how his career is going. He wants an out. Josh Fabius says, hey, I'll give you a shot. Uh, and then to stick with him, though, for two years is the red flag where it's what is Josh Fabius saying to him to make him stay and stuff like that. And then you look at the fact that you have a legend in Diego Sanchez at a camp with Josh Fabia. It might be enough to lure in a couple young fighters who were, haven't made a name for themselves yet. And then you look at it and they say, I mean, Diego Sanchez is training with the guy. And up until this point, I until this very point yesterday, I, I haven't heard Diego Sanchez say a bad word about the guy. And now he cuts ties with them, you know? So it's like, you could easily manipulate someone younger, someone more, um, what's the word naive that this is a good camp. Fabio's a good guy. And maybe you can get him in on their conspiracy theories that the UFC is blackballing Fabian and his camp. And it's, it, 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 I mean, it's just nonsense. It's a shitty, it's a black eye on the sport. No pun intended, but, uh, that this guy is still, like you say, credentialed and valid and around. He, he shouldn't have right. any say whatsoever. I think a professional MMA. It's it's clear that he's what he's done to Diego Sanchez. He's wasted the last potentially potentially the last two years of his professional fighting career on just like nonsense and bullshit thoughts and crazy training techniques and all this stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, I'm hoping that maybe. The UFC is like, all right, yeah, you did a good, like, now you're gone from this guy. Maybe he goes back to Jackson Willing for that last fight and they re-sign him and give him that one last swan song fight. I, I mean, I guess that would be the ideal way that things work out, but I'm not sure how uh, how likely that even is. Yeah, and I mean, we're kind of in agreement that Diego's not really at a championship or, like, even right. a league level. So right. if he does want to fight again, it should be just one, maybe two, like, these mm-hmm. retirement, like, have a fun fight we're all come out celebrate your career for it but right you know i mean maybe that, that would be nice i mean it really depends on what diego's relationship is like with the ufc brass now after going through all of this because yeah, right. you know even though fabi is out of the equation doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship between diego and them isn't permanently damaged you know so right. I, I guess we'll see i've never i don't remember someone getting cut completely and then being brought back like on short like notice so yeah, this short notice. No, the only one that comes to mind. Um, I mean, we've seen guys get cut and get brought back. I think before, or I don't know. Right. Is, like, if you want to, people, but yeah, if you want to consider cut and like release the same thing, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to think of the kid's name. He, um, oh my goodness, what's his? His nickname is Juicy J, but I can't think of his actual name. He beat. Uh, Fuck! This is uh, this is bad radio. I'll, I'll look this up real quick. I'll find it. It's who? It's Julian something or something like that. But I remember he was cut like twice and then came back and beat um someone who was eleven and zero. I'll have to look this up really quick. But um, yeah. So I I I think it's just it sucks to see how much Diego Sanchez gave to the UFC to have it all sl- to have his likeness slandered like this at the end of his career, to have him kind of sold short of his last swan song fight. And if he's still at that, I mean, he was what two weeks out from fighting Cowboy, so it's he's still clearly in shape and good enough to fight. Maybe not win, but at least to fight. So maybe they can give him just something, la- some one last thing to save face and not have his the end of his career be remembered for the way that it went out with Fabia, and rather than celebrate how much of an elite fighter he was for most of his career and uh, how dangerous and how exciting he was to watch. Rather than be like, oh, remember all that shit at the end of his career with like Josh Fabia? Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'd rather right. it, like, you'd rather it be like, oh, remember that crazy last fight he had with Cowboy? What a legend. Something like that. Uh, and I think in a few years, we won't even really be thinking about Fabia or this whole like debacle. Right. Remembering Diego's like who he was earlier on in his career, those crazy fights he used to put on. So, yeah. Uh, it was Ju- Julian Arosa, was the UFC fighter oh, I was okay. thinking of. Um, and I want to see, I think it was Sean Woodson was who he beat. Uh, or was it Sean Woodson? I believe it was Sean Woodson. Yeah, it was. Sean Woodson was 7-0 and at the time. And it was 
Julian Arosa's like third stint with the UFC. He'd been cut twice, then took a fight with Sean Woodson at seven and zero on like eleven days notice, and ended up beating him by a submission. If I remember, it was a Doris choke in the third round. It was a great fight, but that's the first thing that came to mind of a fighter getting cut, coming back, getting cut, coming back. So it's it's clear that they're not. Uh, the UFC isn't just like you're cut, you're done, see you later, never want to see you again. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see if maybe he gets lucky and um and they do something for him or at least honor him in some way because like i said it would fucking suck to see him just go off under the radar rather than right off into the sunset if possible yeah true hopefully we get to see it but you never know yeah um so well if uh they said um mmanews.com said that they'll be releasing diego sanchez will be releasing a statement at some point later on this week and that they'll have it all covered. So that was, of course, like we said, published yesterday. We're talking about it today. Maybe it could be as early as tomorrow, even early as today or later in the week. But as soon as we get that, we'll definitely talk about that on the next episode. Um, another sad moment for the UFC. Paul Felder retired on the last broadcast. Um, it was between the co-main and the main event, I believe. Uh, what a career for Paul Felder, man. I mean, this is the one of my favorite fighters ever. He's like, he's he's uh, another embodiment of what it means to be a fighter. Uh, he's got a bunch of great fights. He had that war with Dan Hooker, um, one of the best fights I've ever seen. He's the last guy to beat Charles Oliveira. Uh, and um, I mean, what can you say about Paul Felder, you know? I mean, the Irish Dragon. This right. guy, he always had a fun fight. Um, yeah. Something interesting I, I, I was looking at online was the curse of the Irish Dragon. Yeah. Every fighter that's beaten Paul Felder has gone to lose their next fight. Yeah. Uh, that's Dan Hooker, Mike Perry, Francisco Trinaldo, Ross Pearson, and Edson Barboza. Um, mm. And I think that's kind of like a testament to just like when you fight Paul Felder, it's never easy win, lose, or draw. No. So it, he, he's always going to give you a tough fight and he's always going to leave you out for a while after that. But yeah, Paul, he got his highest six in the world. Like mm-hmm. you said, he was the last guy to beat Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Uh, he joked about it himself on Saturday night. He's like, that one's, he's like, never going to let him get that one back because it's, yeah, it's, right. it's going to age better and better as Oliveira goes on to do bigger and better things. Right. Uh, yeah, this is the one thing that I was kind of weirded out by was that he chose to announced retirement in the middle of the event yeah i thought it was weird too but i was like weird like like i don't even want to say like it was like like stealing like the moment a little bit but it was like i don't know it it just felt like it just felt like it wasn't the right time you know yeah i think it's he's a member of the broadcast team he's right physically part of the broadcast so i guess it kind of does make sense but i don't know i've just just not used to seeing someone retire during a broadcast that wasn't actually fighting that night. So mm-hmm. that, that might've been a first. I think the way you look, I look at it is like, I do agree that I was like, this is kind of weird at first. Uh, but then I'm like, it, it, then what is the right time? You know, because he said he's not going right. to fight again and he's not going to, uh, he was like, I wish I could go in there and lay my gloves down in the octagon, but I'm not, I don't have the drive anymore. I don't feel like I'm at a championship level anymore. So then again, what would be the right time? You want them to do it after a broadcast and kind of take away from the main event or before and then have that looming over the entire card or whatever, like, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And also, I, I like that he got to do, like, his own little statement and didn't have to do it in, like, a tweet or something like that. There was a little more intimacy to it. Um, and it, it, it's just, like, you think about, like, he took the RDA fight on five days' notice. Um and a split decision victory too. So it's like you almost beat RDA on five days notice. No problem. Yeah. The absolute fucking war he had with Dan Hooker. Like I said, one of the best fights I've ever seen. Uh, beating Edson Barboza, beating Mike Perry back when Mike Perry was really on fire. Uh, Charles Oliveira, obviously we know how good he is. I mean, this it, it goes on and on. Uh, beating Edson Barboza in a rematch too. So it's he already fought him once. And that but, was a commercial decision as well. Mm-hmm. Lost. Yeah, so he ends his career with uh he ends his career seventeen wins, six losses, six decisions, one submission, and ten TKO victories. Um only been knocked out once, it looks like. I'm trying to see where that was. Um maybe early uh Doctor St- oh, okay, so that was a doctor stoppage versus Francisco Trinaldo. 
Uh, and that was in the third round with like two and a half minutes left. So I never uh, really stopped during a fight. No, never. He always showed that's, that's what I love so much about Paul Felder. He always came in. He always gave you everything he had only. So one KO loss, the rest are by decision, never been tapped out. Uh, just as tough as they come. He's just, he's so, I think he's so underrated as far as how tough he was. And um, how much of a problem he was for anybody that he fought. He was never a big, like you said, he only got to top. He only got to six, as high as six, which is high. It's completely commendable. It's not um, anything to take away from him. But he was never like a title contender. He was never a top three guy. Um, but he was always an issue for anybody he fought. He's so hard to plan against. And you know he's going to give you a crazy fight. And he's going to fucking take tons of damage. He's going to beat the shit out of you. Um, he was in the 155 division two, toughest division in the sport. Uh, never shied away, as we saw on five days notice, taking fights. He's just game. He was just as game as game gets. And also a fantastic commentator. Just a great guy all around. I've never heard a bad word said about Paul Felder. So uh, intelligent, too. Very like very well-spoken. He's not one of these guys that you see like that gets punch drunk after their career or anything like that. Smart fighter, so... Uh, congrats to Dan or um, not Dan Paul on a good career. And uh, yeah, and like you said, the fact that he's a commentator probably also influenced his decision because right. I think a lot of times we see guys who like Paul Felder don't have the driver anymore, but you know, an extra thirty thousand dollar win, thirty thousand dollar show kind of can convince you to come out for one or two more, you know. But he really doesn't need that right now. He right. maybe you're paying him more consistently as a broadcaster, anyways. He doesn't have to be away as much from his family, which is another right. big thing we talked about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, they're calling it at the right time, you know. Yeah, you can I mean look at what we were just talking about, Diego Sanchez. You could look at someone like that, and you could look. It could end that way, you know. It could end right. in this flurry of controversy and take away from a legendary career. Uh, but yeah, he yeah he definitely called a shot in the right moment and walked away when it was the right time. Um, and you know he's. Fucking, he's still in shape, so who knows? You know, he took a fight right. for five days' notice. Who fucking knows? Maybe they give him another call. Uh, yeah, and see what he wants to do. It works out. He's from Philly, too. So maybe if they go back to Philly or something, they need a guy and he doesn't have to, you know, train and fly across the country or something, then he'll do it. But um, I saw a report that he's planning on leaving the USADA pool next month. Oh, really? So, so that'll be the real tell for us because he can't fight after not right. fighting for X right, yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's a good point. So, um, yeah, congrats to Paul Felder. It's good. I'm, I'm excited to see him full-time as a broadcaster now. And, I mean, he's been like that for a while. But, you know, he's always – he's one of those guys that, like, I, I like to hear him on the broadcast. He doesn't say too much. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, he just makes it better. But we'll see. Um, we'll see now. We'll break down Font versus Cody. Um, that whole card – or some important fights on that card. Some of them weren't decent. Some of them were meh. Uh, exciting main event for sure. Uh, a, a telltale main event that really solidified how good Rob Font is, uh, how much of an issue he's going to be for that featherweight division. Uh, but we have, let's see, we'll pull up the card real quick right here. Uh, what'd you think about the, um, did you, did you watch all the fights on this? Yeah, I caught, I caught it the day after I didn't watch it all on the okay. night. So, Carla Esparza, she had a uh, super impressive performance against uh, Jan. I don't know how to say her name. Chauzan, Chauan, or Yawan. I've heard everyone pronounce it differently. Yeah, so. I have no idea. Um, she looks pretty good though. It's it's tough again. Like we, I say this every goddamn week on the show, but it's so tough with the girls now with Amanda Nunes and Shevchenko that you can't really like. You can be like, oh yeah, she looks good, but she doesn't look better than them. But um. Yeah, impressive stuff from her. She got the, the KO, TKO. She beat the shit out of this chick. Uh, I think it was second round? Yeah, second round TKO. If I remember, she got her on a crucifix and was just beating the brakes yeah. off her. Yeah, so what I thought was like the most important thing coming out of this one was that, like you said, usually with the women, it's like you kind of compare them unfairly to the champions like right. Valentine and Amanda. But Carla's... Uh, the person who beat Rose in the first uh, mm-hmm. women's strawweight title fight. Mm-hmm. So, and especially now that that division is well, it's kind of a mess because Rose knocked out Whaley in one. Right. But then also Joanna, who's already fought Rose twice. So it's like neither of those kind of really make sense for her next shot. 
Mm-hmm. But now Carla Esparza is coming out. I think she's number three, right? She's, she's um, pretty high up pull that up real quick. Yeah, she's definitely high up there. If not three yeah. and four. And especially because she just came off of another great performance and she's already beat Rose before. It's like, right. you know, you can kind of tell that one itself. Like that's, in my opinion, she's probably the next best. And then you can even have Wei Lee versus uh, Nami Yunus for a title eliminator. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it yes. kind of helps to give this uh, division a little more structure. So your top of the women's strawweight is um, Rose is the champion. Then we have Wei Lee at one, Yawan at two, and Carlos Paz at three. So she jumped up one from four. Uh, and yeah, went down from four to three. Or three to four, excuse me. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't know. I, don't, I really wouldn't feel comfortable giving Whaley Jane a shot off of, after being knocked out in one round and only defending the t- title once before then. You know, I, I feel like an immediate rematch is kind of reserved for a champion who's been around for a while and defended a few times. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I mean, really, who's going to complain about seeing Ioana versus Whaley Jane too, right? Especially yeah. Or, uh, I mean, you have Ioana versus Whaley too. You have Ioana versus Rose. Did they fight already? They fought twice. They fought twice, yes. Yeah, so now we have the three. And did Rose beat her twice? Correct. Uh, Rose beat her twice. Yeah. The yeah, first one was so... at MSG. She won the belt and then defended it against her in Brooklyn. Right. Okay. So, uh, I mean, if you want to see that a third, time, I mean, I I'm not complaining about that fight a third time. I'll fucking watch that all day long. But right. um, Whaley, I think yeah, I think maybe Yoana versus Whaley two is the fight to make. And then, do you give Carla a title shot in the meantime i think so just because like you know it's a new challenger in a way even though it's a rematch from a while ago right but you can also sell it as you know she's last person to beat rose actually but like they she's already having a win over her right you can look at it almost as like connor dustin too where it's like they fought so long ago that it's a totally new fight even though it's the same fighters you know Especially because we're we're like going to assume that Carla's road to victory is not on the feet, so mm-hmm. that that presents a different kind of challenge for yeah, Rose. Totally, also. totally does. You're yeah. right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. They got an interesting top four then in the straw weight. Uh, that's probably the most competitive women's division right now, I would say, because sure, you have yeah. Valentina and Amanda at the top of the other ones. But uh, yeah, so I, I think she looks fantastic in that fight. She looked. She really didn't. Wasn't in trouble at any point. Um, Ground game looked great. Ground and pound looked great. Uh, against Jan, who's no slouch either. I mean, she's 13-2 and now 13-1 going into the fight. So it's a big win for Carlos Barza. Despite the record of 19-6, and six, I don't think that uh, fairly dictates her level of skill that she has. Um, but yeah, I, I actually like that. I like that. Uh, I like the possible possibility of her getting a title shot next. And then Whaley and Joanna too. I mean... Whaley and Joanna too is the fight that I'd probably be the most excited about all year. I mean, unless oh, they go cool. Jones versus Ngannou, but it's one of the best fights we've ever seen. So, um, yeah. Now we'll move real quick. This was a fucking nasty fight. Justin Taffa versus uh, Jared Vanderera. I mean, look like Vanderera got shot in the head in this fight. Oh yeah, he was he was bleeding a lot. Um, it was a nasty fight. It was it was actually kind of crazy to see how yeah. much it got down, but yeah. then it was like. As soon as the cutman got in there, he really did a good job. So he yeah, it's, saved that fight. It's one of those weird glancing blows off the top of the head where they just bleed a ton, but it's not really that dangerous because it's not going in the eyes. It's not going, uh, it, yeah, it's staying out of the eyes. It was kind of going down the side of his head and then under the chin. But oh my god, I mean, you want to talk about a bloodbath? It's one of those like one of those fights that you put on like a UFC poster to promote the sport, like. Just a crazy, nasty fight, bloody. Uh, shout out to Vanderera for getting it done too. He ended up coming out of there with the decision. Uh, these guys really traded though. Uh, Justin Taffa now falls to four and three. Um, Vanderera goes to twelve and five. Maybe he's. I'm gonna check the rankings real quick. I don't know if he's anywhere in these rankings yet, but uh, I don't see him anywhere in the rankings. Maybe he moves up. I mean, Alexia Lenick is at the 15 spot. So maybe he takes over there unless I'm missing him and I'm not seeing him, but I don't think I am. Uh, it's the, the, the under like the, the lower level heavyweight guys are always really interesting because it's like the heavyweight division is 
getting a little deeper now, not super deep, but I mean, you have the scariest champion of all time with Francis at the top. So it's really a comparison of like, can you beat this guy? Uh, still have Stipe, still have Derek Lewis, still have Cyril Gagne, Curtis Blades, Volkov, Rosenstrike, all these guys. So I don't know how well any of these two would fare. I mean, I don't think Justin Toff is going to be doing anything significant anytime soon, but he's always, he's a fun guy to watch. Um, He's got that. He's one of the more heavier heavyweights, so he's always going in for the knockout or vice versa, getting knocked out. Uh, nevertheless, it's exciting each time. Uh, but Van Der looked good. I mean, be able to battle through that cut and you know hold his own and get the decision victory. Yeah, something you just mentioned about how like you know the heavyweight division for a while, um, the lower level guys like it has been that deep, but now it's getting deeper. Yeah, I think kind of um because the top has been so stagnant for a very long time right you've never really had a heavyweight champion who like will defend his belt very very um oh what am i what's the word can like constantly consistently right 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 yeah yeah so you know we've we've had a lot of time for these guys to fight each other and kind of like get Mm -hmm. these prospect pools filled out Mm -hmm. but also I kind of don't see that changing for a while unless Francis is able to retain the belt and keep going and yeah. knock people out early. Because you think about how hard it has, it has been to get Jones to get going into a heavyweight bout. Right. Make no mistake. Like the UFC would want that to happen. Like they would obviously want John in like a title fight because he's a huge star. And right. especially on ESPN, like this is going to be a huge fight people want to watch. But you know, I it seems like they really don't want to pay him however much he's asking for. Now imagine they somehow get a deal done and then John knocks out or he just beats Francis. Mm-hmm. He becomes champion. And then he wants to defend his belt after that. He's going to want even more money than the UFC is not right, going to want. Right. So there's a real possibility here. And especially, don't forget Stipe. Stipe is still in the mix too. He yeah. can win a, get a title shot and then he wins the belt. He wasn't very active either. So I think there's a lot of potential here for the heavyweight division to be really stagnant again for the next few years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for these younger guys coming up or these, these guys who are lower in the rankings, like if I were them, I'm staying as active as possible just to yeah, get a hundred percent. If you look, actually you look, you made a lot of interesting points there. If you look at the top and you have Francis who is, I mean, a borderline superstar at this point. Uh, right. He's already, like breakover right exactly and he's definitely the scariest he's got all the highlights you can show he's got all the power he's got and now we look at his last fight with stipe he looks like he's gotten a little technical too i mean he did what he did to stipe people are talking about the knockout and stuff like that i mean but he fought a perfect fight against stipe this looks like a totally new francis and ghana we haven't seen before and he says he wants to stay active so if i'm the ufc i just throw everything at him just give him anything i mean look how impressive he looked against stipe miocic like I mean, that's in my opinion, that's the heavyweight goat, and it's he just dominated him. Uh, after people, there was concerns about whether or not is he going to be able to wrestle with them? Is he going to be able to sprawl? Is he just going to go for the knockout? Can Stipe's chin hold up? Uh, can Francis land the strikes? Because we saw it at UFC 220 when he's just throwing bombs. He landed a couple of good shots too and couldn't seem to put him out. So we see him now, knocks him out. We know he can beat Stipe. Um, he has the Derek Lewis fight coming up i believe uh is that that's official right correct is they haven't it? finalized it but they haven't finalized it okay. the one where dana's talking about on the broadcast so right it's so it's finalized right exactly so now we have the Derek lewis fight coming up that's going to be exciting i know the first one was like the worst fight that's ever happened but it's going to be a better fight um and then it's if, if francis wants to stay as active as he says he wants to be and he's going into these fights and he's ending them in fucking 40 seconds or a round or whatever, he's not taking any damage. I don't see why you don't just keep throwing guys at him. It doesn't like, you know, it's, you can give Stipe his rematch if you'd like. Um, that's probably not going to be for a little while. I know Stipe was, obviously we saw him get knocked out, so he's going to take some no contact time away and stuff like that. Uh, then you have Derek Lewis. I mean, I don't see him losing to Cyril Gagne. I don't see him losing to Curtis Blades. I don't see him losing to Volkov. Rosenstrike, like, if Francis looks as good as he did against Stipe in these next upcoming fights and you want to just keep throwing guys at him, then why not and start working these lower level guys up towards the top of the rankings and these guys all keep fighting each other and whatnot. And, you know, it's it, it, it's the, the 
the top talent at the top of the heavyweight division is good, which makes it somewhat deep, but it, there is a drop off from like the top three to the rest of the pack. Uh, Curtis plays at four. I, I still think he's a better fighter than Cyril Gagne. I think he should be at three, but you see him get knocked over as Derek Lewis. I understand why he's at five, uh, four. You look at Alexander Volkov even. He looks fantastic in his last fight, so he, he might be posed a threat to uh, this top five, maybe not to Francis just yet, but if he can knock off another top three win, maybe against um, maybe against Cyril Gagne, maybe even Stipe if they want to give that fight, something like that. Uh, just to give Stipe a warm-up fight before he goes back and fights for the title, if that's what they decide they want to do. Um, there's a lot of good matchups here at heavyweight. Um, and like I said, it drops off after this top five. Uh, and it's really anybody's game down there. If if these guys want to keep fighting, these young guys want to stay active, like you said. Uh, and they they can easily work their way up to these top ten and then eventually get a top five shot and then anything can happen from there, you know? Yeah, the UFC got a lot of like really interesting decisions to make with mm-hmm. in terms of heavyweight matchmaking. One thing I want to touch on though, Cyril Gone, mm-hmm. I think that guy has the potential to beat anybody in the top five, including really? Francis. He's an extremely good kickboxer. He has really good um, managing range mm-hmm. compared to everyone else in the heavyweight division. Like I think straight up just kickboxing, he's so much better than everybody, except for John Jones. Now there's obviously other holes in Cyril Gone's game. Right. And I really wouldn't pick him to beat anybody in the top five. I wouldn't necessarily favor him heavily, mm-hmm. but he definitely has a chance to kind of, you know, pick someone apart over five rounds. Cause we saw him do that to, I think it was Rosenstrike, but yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really though, like this, this top five, top six, like they're all really good. And then it's just like a really steep drop off. So, mm-hmm. so we'll see one of these guys from like the top 10 is going to break into the top five over the next year. I'm sure. Uh, we're going to see how these title fights play out at heavyweight and, and we'll, we'll go from there, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the UFC handles their matchmaking at, at heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I, okay. So the, the guy made point is interesting or gone. However you say it, uh, that's interesting. I, I haven't seen much of this dude. I think I missed who did he fight recently? He did he fight Rosenstrike recently? Yeah, it was Rosenstrike. And yeah. he, people were kind of upset because it was a kind of a boring fight that mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of action, but it was really just, because Cyril Gaon was controlling the whole fight and wasn't letting Rosenstruck get anything significant off on him. So he could do that to a lot of guys. So, Okay. Um, well, that's something to keep your eye on then if if what you say is true and you do think he can actually beat anybody in that top five. I'm interested to see how that goes then. Uh, do we know if he has another fight booked right now? I don't believe so, no. I don't believe so either. Um, it doesn't seem like the heavyweights fight as much as everyone else does. No, it it really doesn't. It, I I agree. It doesn't seem like uh, they don't seem to like stay super active. Uh, yeah. And that could possibly be a reason why that division's been so so stale or so right. Have a lot of movement. Uh, so I I think maybe what you were saying earlier, if you can find a guy that wants to uh just stay as active as he possibly can and keep fighting, like we see some of these lower weight guys do then they could pose a real threat to the division. If he can just stay on his horse and keep going, I don't know who that would be at the time at right now, but that could be a huge advantage. If you're a guy who can just stay in shape and just take any fight that they give him. Cause I agree. It's like, we don't see a lot of heavyweight fights. Uh, and if like, you know, fucking, if these guys want to just keep fighting, then it's just, it, all it takes is one guy to say like, Hey, give me another shot. Give me another shot. Give me another shot. And then next right. thing you know, you know, um, there's another guy I wanted to touch base or just talk about really quickly. He fought on the prelims, I believe it was the first fight of the or second fight of the night. David Dorvac. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Flyweight. He moves to 20 and three now with another submission win. Uh, he is 20 and three, eight. What is this? Eight KOs, I think. Eight KOs, eight submissions, four decisions. Uh, this is somebody to keep your eye on, in my opinion. Uh, he's a super dangerous fighter. I think he's ranked somewhere around eight now. So I can pull the rankings up real quick for flyweight. Uh, he's eleventh, so he's eleventh right now. Um, but I, I he he is a he's a quick little guy. He's somebody he could be really dangerous. He beat um God Almighty Juan, how do you say Juan Camilo Ronderos? I think his name. Let me see. Yeah, Juan Camilo Ronderos. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
submission victory though very quick in the first round two minutes 18 seconds in uh just someone to keep your eye on real quick i don't have a ton to say about him but uh flyweight is just like i love the flyweight division it's so exciting one-armed naked, one-armed rear naked choke as well um mm-hmm. a few weeks ago in jacksville i think we saw the first one ever i think that's what i kept hearing and now we have two in the span of a month that's that's really the first two we've ever seen. Isn't that kind of crazy? We've seen both so so recently. Yeah, we had what what's it called too? Didn't we have um something similar to that happening? Oh, we had this first two low calf kick stoppages or something like that. And like there was like they both happened in the same month as well or something along the lines of that. Yeah, like two of three like ever. Same, same case of drop foot. Yeah, ex- yeah, it was like something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the sport's so exciting. It's like all oh, this. It's getting so technical now. It's almost yeah. like uh not like baseball in a sense of statistics wise, but it's like, it's more, it's so much, it's so far from what it used to be where it's like, I think Rogan says this all the time. If you go back at the UFC and look at it, when it debuted in like 1993 or whatever it was. Uh, and you look at it now, like it looks like a completely different sport than like, oh, like, yeah. like completely different. Not even like it's like this, they're both, they're all in an octagon still, but that's really it. Like, yeah. Like UFC one looks like a completely different product. Yeah, it looks like a fucking like cockfight. Like it looks yeah. like something you'd have to like find on like the black market, like deep. Oil. You, got, you got guys wearing shoes, guys wearing geese. Like it's just guys are like 150 pounds fighting 450 pound guys. Yeah, it's just so much different. I'm I'm happy the sport's gotten. It yeah. seems like it's a lot more like under control. Yeah, it's so exciting now. Yeah. Um, move real quick now. Let's talk about this main event because it is important and it was eye opening and exciting. Uh. First off, credit to Rob Font. He looked fucking fantastic. He looks like he's going to be a real, real issue at um, yeah. Featherweight. Or was it Featherweight? Correct. Right? Or Bantamweight. 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 Um, moves up to three now in the rankings. Cody Garbrandt falls to fifth. Uh, he looks fantastic. Like, Cody looked timid, I think, in my opinion, and kind of a little nervous. Looks like he was kind of beating himself in there. But credit to Rob Font because he looked on point. Yeah, uh, I was really impressed by Rob Font's use of his jab in this fight. Um, mm, he I really, used that I really, reach well. yeah, he he's pressuring Cody like almost the whole fight. Yeah. Um I, I really don't remember anybody ever taking it to Cody like that, and like I, I don't remember anyone ever like really neutralizing Cody like that. Like it seemed like Cody yeah. had like completely like just like just purely based off of he couldn't deal with the jab. Uh he was dealing with his pressure all night. And also Cody looked like he got kind of tired like surprisingly earlier on than I mm-hmm. than I can remember him seeing. So mm-hmm. uh, I had a lot of questions coming out of that. You know, like he had a really bad battle with COVID. That was yeah a few months ago, but still like you see a lot of guys like having lingering effects. I know I was talking to a friend of mine who plays rugby in college and he was saying how he really didn't want to get COVID because one of the team doctors was telling him like down in, I think it was uh Penn state, some football players got COVID and like their team physician had examined them and said that like, it was turning them like, instead of being like superhuman athletes, like after they had COVID, it's like they were completely like normal people, like their lung tissue wasn't built up and like right. all these things are going around with their body. So right. So I'd also be nervous to see how Hamza now looks coming out. Yeah. Because yeah. he wants to come back and fight soon. He had a tough battle with it as well. Super Not to mention Cody Garbrandt also, I think he like tore his bicep or something because he was telling a story on the Joe Rogan podcast about yeah. how like, yep. his bicep like filled up with blood or something. So Yeah, he had a very uh, peculiar injury on top of a really bad COVID case. Right. So it, it's been a tough go for Cody Garbrandt. So mm-hmm. um yeah, that's I. I would. I don't even want to attribute that really to this performance and take away from Rob Font because I think he just perfectly executed a game plan. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think you, you're not. I don't think taking away it will take away. Bring up the significance of Cody's COVID battle along with the injury. I don't think it takes away from how good Rob Font did because Rob Font just did. He did above and beyond just so well. But I agree that uh, you don't want to overshadow how well Rob Font did because I, I. You're right. He used that jab perfectly it was Kamara Usman-esque he just kept him at distance the entire time and you're right he just kept pressure on him like he never gave Cody a second even it was a constant jab constant distance uh never really let him get in close except for maybe a couple exchanges and even in those couple exchanges we saw the Cody speed that we're used to but it wasn't really enough to uh 
do any significant damage to Rob Font. Right. I didn't really feel like Rob Font was in any significant trouble no. during that fight. No. And, um, you know, a lot of people online were saying that Cody seemed like he was tired, especially, you know, going over five mm-hmm. rounds. Yeah, I was saying the same thing. But what I thought was uh, kind of unique about this fight was that we, we saw a lot of Cody's offensive wrestling. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he hasn't really shot for a takedown in the UFC before this. No, I mean, not I, that I can recall. No, because I think he's just always been so fast. He's never needed to, right. you know. He's always had right. a crazy he, good head movement and foot movement. And he's just – his hand speed is – Rogan said it before. I think he's the fastest in the sport too. I, I don't think there's anybody faster right now than Cody Garbrandt. He's – his speed doesn't make any sense. I know he's small and he's light, but like, holy shit. I mean, he has got lightning quick hands. It's just a matter of, I think now for him getting back in that octagon, he's got this fight under his belt. And since he's a former champion, he's held to such a high standard that it's like, you expect him to win every fight. But I I think the COVID reset him. And now it's, he's got to start fresh and kind of really get a feel from where he's at right now. And what he wants to do going forward, what, if he wants to try to make that cut down to flyweight again, uh, I believe that was the f- initial talks, right? That he was, wasn't he scheduled to fight Figueredo or? He was. He right? Was gonna... So if he wants to try to do that again, I don't know how hard that cut will be for him at uh, w- with the COVID and everything lingering, but we'll have to see um, what he looks like in this next fight because this one just looked like he had cobwebs. I don't I don't even necessarily think it, he's a worse fighter than he was before COVID. I think he's just a little nervous. It's his first fight back since then. But we saw it in the a Sancho fight. Like, he looked unbelievable in that fight. He looked so fast. He looked so technical. Uh, and there's even shines of that in this fight. An interesting point that I saw just reading the post-fight uh, medical reports and stuff like that was that Rob Font was going to be placed on, I believe it was 180 day, yeah, 180 day medical suspension or until right tibia, fibula, and ankle, ankle and foot are cleared by a doctor. Um, so that sounds bad on the surface, but rea- in reality, the doctors can clear him the next day if they want to, and he doesn't have to serve that 180 day medical suspension. There's also a 30 day no contact suspension for 20, 30 day suspension with no contact for 21. I don't know about the technicality of all that. That might be up to the gym, whether or not he wants to do that and the fighter himself once he's cleared. Um, but I was saying while I was watching the fight, he's landing the leg kicks. He was landing the leg kicks on the right leg. So I didn't know why Cody wasn't using that leg kick more, that low calf kick, because it, it, he was landing it at will, I thought. I think he was just too afraid to get in close because Rob Font was doing so well with that jab and keeping him at distance. But we've seen what Cody does, that weird like Capoeira drop-down leg kick that he's so good at. Um, it's an unorthodox strike, but I thought maybe if he incorporated more of that into his game plan and limited the mobility of Rob Font, then he would have had a better chance of getting in the clinch and using that hand speed that he's known for. Yeah, and, um, you know, this this we're, we're talking like speculations of COVID, speculations right, right. of arm injury and everything mm-hmm. this really could just be you know a mental a mental loss that he had because we yeah. know that he has the ability he really has the speed and the tools to to beat everyone in the top top of the bantamweight division mm-hmm. um but we've, we've just seen it happen to fires where they get they get gun shy they can't stop backing up they don't know how, how to go about setting something up against a guy who's giving them real trouble um and like we said we've never seen someone push cody like this so that might right. have been a unique trend to deal with so you know it it's most definitely not the end of Cody Garbrandt. No, for sure. no, no, no. Um, he's got to prove himself in his next fight, and he's got a lot of interesting options. You know, uh, we were talking about how he was going to fight Figueroa flyweight. From everything that Cody said, um, the UFC has given him the indication that a title shot at 125 was going to kind of always be open to him, mm-hmm. except for obviously this Moreno rematch is happening. So. He's kind of next in line because that division really doesn't have a clear number one guy or as clear as some other divisions are. Yeah, so. I'm looking at it right now. I got the rankings pulled up, and it's pretty weak. Uh, not a ton yeah, of depth so there at all. A move down to flyweight might benefit Cody because Cody kind of gives up a bit, a bit of size of, at uh, Bantamweight because right. he doesn't really cut any like real weight to, to make right, that weight. Right. So who knows? You know, we, We've seen guys move down, move up before. It does better for him, so – Maybe he's just a really good flyweight fighting at bantamweight. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't think I, I don't hate the the move cutting to flyweight at all. But like we said, the division isn't that deep, so it's 
I mean, we got Davidson Figueredo at the top, fantastic champion. Brandon Moreno, they had a great first fight. They have the second fight coming up soon. I believe that's on 263 at the co-main, correct? Correct, uh, yeah. It's in, uh, it's so, in Arizona. Yep. So they have that coming up very soon. Great first fight. Should be a good second fight as well. Askar Askarov is in the second. And then um, Alexander Pantoja, he's not a bad fighter either. He's at the three spot. Definitely someone that's not – no slouches here. But then we get to Alex Perez, and then it drops off to Joseph Benavidez. No disrespect to Joseph Benavidez, but, I mean, he's not going to be giving him the title belt. I mean, he's not going to get a title anytime soon. He's not a bad fighter, but it's it, – them below him, it's a bunch of uh, – I don't want to say no names, but it's people that uh, don't have any business in that top three, in my opinion. We have Matt Schnell. He can fight. Tim Elliott can obviously fight. And then David Dorvac. Uh, that's 9, 10, 11. Those guys are all decent. Pava, he isn't bad either. But if Cody drops down to flyweight, I, I don't have I don't see him having an issue with really anybody in that uh, in the rankings besides these top three guys and maybe Pantoja as well as the champion. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a curious case because he said – Cody came out and said that he um, – he's like, I just beat myself. It was more of a mental thing. But we've seen that he's had the mentality issues in the past, obviously, with the two TJ fights, the Pedro Munoz fight. Um, he looked more calm and collected in this one, but almost a little too calm and collected because I think he plays well into that chaotic style of fighting if he can land and uh, – maybe learn to control it more because I think Cody, once he starts landing shots, he's almost like a shark. He just, his eyes turn black and he just can't see anything but going for the knockout, you know? So if he can come in and use flurries rather than go for an all out brawler style, then maybe we could see an improvement in his game and technicality. Um, I'm looking at the bantamweight here. I mean, there's plenty of fights for him, you know? Plenty of exciting fights, too. I mean, this is a fantastic division. Maybe we see a rematch with him and Dominic Cruz or something like that. It's a warm-up fight for both those guys. Yeah, um, that's what I was kind of looking at, what should be next for Cody. Um, just because most of those top guys are booked anyways. Right. Uh, I don't know if you saw Jose Alder just got a fight booked with... Oh, did he? I think he got booked to fight a Sun Tzu at 265. Mm. Okay. I'll, I'll double-check that. I'll He's check that right now back, though. But, yeah... Um, if you look through that that top of the division, it's uh, Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz, is that you said? Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So at this point in their careers, like, you know, you think about it, Cody, if he beats Dominic Cruz, obviously he's back on the right track. Mm-hmm. But Dominic Cruz is coming off a win over Casey Kenny. Yeah. So I, I, I'd kind of guess that Very at this point win. in both their careers that – um a jump from Casey Kennedy to Cody Garbrandt's an appropriate one, especially if you're trying to prove that you want to be in the title shot kind Mm -hmm. of uh, range. So Mm -hmm. I think that'd be a great fight. It's a fan. It's a fascinating fight, honestly. It's a fascinating fight. A lot of, I I would imagine still some bad blood there too. Uh, Dominic Cruz seems like one to hold a grudge and not forget about things said and things done. So we saw, obviously when he took, uh, Dominic's belt, you know, they hash it out after the fight, but I can imagine they could ramp up that rivalry pretty quickly again. And then, um, and then you got to throw uh, TJ into the mix here somewhere too, if that's what he decides he wants to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, TJ's coming back against uh, Corey Sanhagen, so I mean, we'll see what happens with that fight. But right. if TJ loses, I mean, we'll have to see how he looks, obviously, but that could be a fun fight as well. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know what Piotr Jan's plan is right now, but um, maybe he goes at Rob Font, winner that gets the title shot, or maybe Corey. I think, I think personally, if Corey Sandhagen wins this fight first, TJ Dillashaw, he should be fighting for the title next. Um, I've been saying it for a while. Huh? Before Piotr Jan? I think so. I I think Corey Sandhagen's done his dues, and I think he's, it's super exciting. I'd like to, it's a rematch. Um, obviously, we have the Aljamain Sterling versus Jan rematch again. But I, I think that Corey Sandhagen uh, has more than earned a title shot. I thought he should have had one. I thought he should have waited and got the next one, but he wanted to take the fight versus TJ. It's obviously an exciting fight, a good big money fight. Uh, if he wins this fight, I think he deserves the title shot. It's, it's a curious case with Piotr Jan. And the reason I say it is you can get technical and say, well, you know what? It was a DQ and it's like, not that he doesn't deserve it, but it's like, Hey, you fucked up. Now one other guy gets a shot. I think Piotr is getting a title shot within his next two fights. Anyways, uh, if he wins his next fight, 
unless it, it, it may it very well may be for the title because I don't think I think he's pretty he's kind of just hanging out right now. I don't know if there's anything in the works for him right now or Aljamain. So um, either the UFC books that rematch uh, soon, or maybe we're seeing someone else fight for the title, and they're waiting yeah. on this Corey and TJ thing. I I just think he's earned it personally. I think he's a fantastic young fighter. And that uh, he could be a legitimate champion if he goes there. But then there's the interesting fact that if TJ wins, does he get thrown into the mix? And then it's him versus Piotr Jan or something. And then the winner of that gets a title shot. And then then you still have Rob Font, who just put on a fantastic performance. And he's at the three. So it, there's a ton of stuff to do at Bantamweight right now. Um, and tons of talent at the top. Like, it's it's super interesting matchups all the way around. All the way to this top. Uh, the, the, the whole top 12, really, is all very interesting stuff. Yeah, and then I saw a graphic too. It was like listing like the unranked bantam weights too. It was like guys like Sugar Sean, right? Like all these, all these guys like bantam weight is on fire. Bantam weight is on fire. But also, um, the UFC has given every indication that they're going to move forward with the rematch in the fall between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. Okay. That's not official because they're waiting on Aljamain to get cleared after his surgery. Um, but I think it's really important that that fight happens first or okay. next to the title because, you know, especially with like, it's not that like the fact that he won by DQ. Yep. Because I, I would really like, I'd like to see that more, honestly, if, if someone, if someone's getting hit illegally and it's going to like really affect their performance going forward in the fight. Mm-hmm. Then I, I really wouldn't shame you at all if you, if you just took the win and just said, I can't fight anymore. Especially, yeah, yeah, I was, I was on uh, Aljo's side that entire time for all. Yeah, especially now if you're in Aljo's shoes, now you get a, a really big rematch with more right. eyes on it, and you're gonna get share of the pay per view. Right. Like financially, that's just a way better decision. Yeah. But um, that has to happen next for the belt because I know many people's eyes, and I think you can say most uh, people wouldn't describe Aljamain as 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 a true champion, especially because he was getting really handled the whole fight. I mm. mean. There was really no time in that fight where I was concerned for Piotr Jan. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like okay, Piotr Jan's. Everyone really knows he's the best of the division. Let's just get him this championship. Let him fight Aljamain again. If Aljamain beats Piotr Jan though in this rematch, then it's like okay, like we we now we have a trilogy on our hands. Yeah. But at the same time, the division does have to move forward because guys like Corey Sanhagen gonna land around Rob Font, TJ, like these guys that you just mentioned. So, yeah. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think Jan's going to be a heavy favorite going into this rematch with Al yeah, I agree. And then after that, you know, probably the winner of uh, Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw gets the next shot. Uh, a guy like Rob Font definitely deserves to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, especially coming off of a victory over a former champion, two former champions, actually, because he beat Mom Harais after. So, mm-hmm. I mean... I really hope it doesn't turn to like a Leon Edwards kind of situation where he's got a good streak against big guys and then doesn't get the shot because, right. you know, Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw have more fans and stuff like that. Right, so right, right, right. Yep. It's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out at 135. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of good points you just made right there. Uh, I, 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 just, I think that was more of the point I was trying to make too is that I want to see Corey Sanhagen get the shot before it's right. washed away by like the fandom of Aljo versus Jan two and three. Oh yeah. He definitely deserves it too. Like you were saying, but we've seen a lot of times guys who deserve to get fights. That they don't get it's, it's just like how, how it works out, you know? Right. So. I, I'm interested to see if they do do a rematch to what Aljo decides to do, because it looked like in the first fight, he didn't have a plan B. It was just plan a, and it wasn't working. Like, right. You know, it was just go in there, try to take him down, get him to the ground. Obviously, uh, if it goes to the ground, I don't even, I mean, Jan's not bad on the ground, but I think Aljo's ground game is just that small, much, small little bit more uh, superior, terrible English there. But uh, I think he's better on the ground than Jan by a small amount. Uh, but it's no secret that that's the case. So we saw Jan go in there and just stuff every takedown and dominate the fight really until the illegal knee. Uh, but if you're Algerman and you're going into a title fight, now you're going to defend your title. You need to have a plan B. You need to have, if this doesn't work, like, uh, if your only plan B is to bite your mouth guard and start trading, then that's what you have to do. It seemed like it, it, by the third round, he was just gassed and just completely unmotivated and out and 
doesn't really know what else to do, but keep trying for takedowns and it didn't work. So yeah, it's an exciting, it's definitely an exciting rematch and uh, an interesting rematch at that. Yeah. So I guess we'll see when that happens. Um, it really just depends on when Aljamain's surgery is all healed up and he's ready to get back into training camp. He seemed to be pretty optimistic about it saying that it could happen in September, October, Mm-hmm. Uh, based on other timelines for similar surgeries and what I've heard from other fighters talking about it, I don't know if that's the most realistic timeline, mm-hmm. but you know, definitely before the end of the year, they'll, they'll have that rematch take place. Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's talk about this main event. Uh, let's rate the card, rate the main event. Uh, card overall, not a bad card. I think it's just given another seven. Yeah. I'm probably going to toss this one to seven as well. Yeah. Main event though. Um, interesting. Definitely eye opening. Um, added a lot of excitement and depth to the division at the top. So I'll give it like an 8.5. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to agree. I'm, I'm probably going to give it an eight huge for Rob Font to establish mm-hmm. himself. Um, this is a big coming out party for him. Local he, guy too. Yeah. He's really shook up this whole, this yeah. whole top of the division. Yeah. So there's a new player at 135. And it's going to be exciting to see how this all plays out. Right. Uh, we'll talk about the other, this upcoming f- card that we have right now let me see i had it pulled up of course i fucking got rid of it uh we got jarzinho rosenstrike versus augusto sakai that'll be on june 5th at 7 at the usp ufc apex center espn plus uh that is june 5th so not this weekend next weekend no fights this weekend sad weekend um we'll see what we got here the main event Josinho Rosen's Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Augusta Sakai 11 and 2 Rosenstrike versus Augusta Sakai 15 2 and 1 um they are ranked at let's see holy shit I can't find it where are you there it is Jarzinho Rosenstrike is Augusta Sakai is ranked sixth. ninth and Jarzinho Rosenstrike is sixth Ninth and sixth, respectively. So, um, a big fight for both of these guys. We'll see if Rosenstrike can try to climb the ladder here and get into that top five somewhere, maybe above uh, Alexander Volkov, if he can get this win. And if Augustus Sakai can pull it out, then he also climbs these ranks, and maybe he gets up to a top six. Maybe they swap spots. Maybe he goes up one or two. We'll have to see. Walt Harris in the co-main event versus Marcin Taipura. Um, 13, 9, 0, and 1, no decision for Walt Harris. And Marcin Tybura is 21 and 6 at heavyweight. Uh, I don't see either of these guys here. Marcin Tybura is 11th. So maybe, and Walt Harris is 8th. So we'll see. That's another important fight for both of these fighters. Um, so we got a heavyweight heavy uh, co-main and main event here. Looks like a lot of uh, upper weight class kind of things here. A lot of middleweight, a lot of welterweight. So some big boys fighting on this card. And also we'll go over to the prelims real quick. Uh, Makwan Americani versus Nate Landwar. I'm excited for that fight at featherweight. That's an exciting fight. Nate Landwar always puts on a good show. Um, to bring back what I was talking about earlier, Julian Arosa. His last loss was to Julian Arosa. So that was, if I remember kind of a weird stoppage if i remember correctly i think it was another one of those weird like out on the feet kind of stoppages but yeah i'm kind of picturing it in my head too i think you're right mm-hmm. latifi was also fighting tanner bosa another heavyweight fight so we have three heavyweight fights it looks like welterweight welterweight featherweight and then a women's flyweight matchup marin florat versus marina moroza or Mo- moros uh six and one for marin floor is it florida or florida my eyes are fucking failing me here. Uh, and Marina Moroz at 10-3-0. So exciting stuff for the women's flyweight division. Let's see if either of those women are ranked. I don't believe they are, but no, I'm not seeing it here. And you've got that demon at the top, Valentina Shevchenko. So not sure how much that fight even matters, to be honest. But good luck to both of them. Yeah, so it looks like we got a bunch of heavyweights. A lot of lot like as we're talking about here that these heavyweights don't fight a lot. We got 3 on this card, so um, Yeah. Should be and exciting. that's good for the for the sake of the division cuz like we were talking about the like this the fact that they don't really fight that much um and that none of these guys are kind of like fighting each other often is making the division a little stagnant. So we got mm-hmm. um guys like Jarzinho Augusto, uh Walt and Marcin T- Tibura. 
Um, yeah, type era. Yep. We're, we're going to see these heavyweight rankings uh, jumble a lot. Right? Maybe we're going to see someone crack in the top five as a result of this card. So we'll see. I mean, um, a division that desperately needs some more movement. We're going to get right. a lot of it on yeah. this card. So uh, we'll see how that has any title implications. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we will be back next week. We will talk about that fight card and everything like that. Uh, check out, what is it, Severe MMA, correct, on Instagram? SevereMMA.com. Uh, we're on all socials. Uh, check out Severe MMA Podcast, which is on all podcast platforms. Yep. And uh, actually, never mind. <laughs> yeah, something else to say? Nope, not this time. Not this time? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> no, a maybe soon. Yeah, a little cliffhanger for you guys. We'll yeah. Check in again. Um, Theo, thanks for joining me, man. We will talk again next week. Um, again, in the clinch, be on the lookout. Uh, I know I say this every goddamn fucking week, but I am so close to finishing some merch that we're working on, and we'll get that stuff out to you, some hoodies, some T-shirts. We have stickers as well uh, for the Boys Back Home podcast main channel. I'm going to work on some in the clinch stickers too, and we'll get that out to you guys. Probably just give those out for free whenever you fucking, if you guys want them, we'll drop them off and all that stuff. Spread the word. Uh, Dio, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me on, John. All right, brother.